Welcome to the Upper Perkiomen Community Church Podcast. Join us on Sundays at 258 Main Street, East Greenville, Pennsylvania. Refreshments at 9 a.m. Worship gathering at 9.30 a.m. Or visit us online at upcconline.org. Please sit back and enjoy our teaching time now with lead pastor, John Buckley. If you want to take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 7. 1 Samuel chapter 7. We're going to be starting in verse number 3 today. 1 Samuel chapter 7 and verse number 3. 1 Samuel chapter 7 and verse number 3. Anytime I study the Word of God, I should say most of the times when I study the Word of God, there are times I read it and I go, okay, Lord, I'm not quite sure why you put this here. I've shared that before, like the genealogies, and I understand God has a reason, and when God says, you know, in the tribe of Benjamin, you know, they sacrificed 12 lambs and six sheep and two turtle doves in the tribe of Benjamin, and they go on down there. Sometimes I'm like, okay, Lord, I know you have a reason. I don't quite understand all of it, but I know you have a reason for that. But most of the time when I get in the Word of God and I read it, I'm like, wow, it's amazing to me how God can convict us from anywhere in the Scriptures. I'm just finishing up Deuteronomy and my devotions, and over and over again, this theme of you obey God and you're going to be blessed by God. You disobey God, you're going to be punished by God. And blessing's not in the way of this, you know, get-rich-quick type things, but the amazing perspective you have when you focus on serving the Lord uh, and doing what He wants you to do. And that's not, it's no difference when it comes to this passage. And God just really beat me up over this passage this week, and I, I truly hope that I can communicate it to you in the way that God hit me with it and that God will use it in your lives as well. 1 Samuel chapter 7, <clears throat> I'm going to start in verse number 3, and we're going to be used, going through the rest of the passage. We, if you remember last week, we ended in verse number 2, and we, as we are going through this passage, we, uh, we realized that what had happened here is the Philistines had finally given the ark back to Israel, and we saw the different responses to that. The, the, the excitement that some felt in worshiping God, the curiosity of others when they lifted up the, the top of the Ark of the Covenant, peeked in, and how God had to take their life, and then how it gets kind of stuck in a town somewhere, known for Baal worship and forgotten for 20 years. But I don't want us to forget the fact that although we haven't heard about Samuel since chapter 4 and verse 1, if you want to flip back a page or two with me, let's read that. Chapter 4 and verse 1. So it's the last place we hear about Samuel until we got on this whole battle and losing of the ark and the Philistines dealing with the ark, and now we're back to Samuel again. Let's read that first part of that verse. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now, I want you to understand that just because we didn't read about Samuel, Samuel's ministry was still going on. He was still involved in the people's lives. You're going to see that as we talk about this here. But it's going to be amazing as we can look at Samuel's life today and say, man, there's some awesome, powerful stuff that we can draw from Samuel's life. So today I've entitled our message, You Can Be Used by God. Samuel, in his situation, wouldn't have been what you and I would have thought of as the ideal childhood. Uh, Most of us, even if we have fractured relationships with our family, would have preferred to be with our parents growing up. And Samuel was given over to Eli, and we know what happened to his sons and their disobedience. And he grew up, first of all, seeing Hophni and Phinehas' rejection of God. Samuel got to see the way Eli was burdened by the whole situation and daily trying to learn all about 
God the way that he should in this mixed up, confused, and dysfunctional situation. You would think out of that that Samuel would have along the way maybe really got some stuff messed up. But the Samuel that you're going to see here is a great reminder to all of us that no matter what our background is, no matter what our challenges are, no matter what our difficulties, our burdens, our wounds are, that God can use and desires to use you and I. I just want to remind you of this too. We hear about Samuel in chapter 4, and we know several years goes by until we pick him up in chapter 7. I want to remind you about this. Just because you do not see results in what you do in life does not mean that you're not impacting lives. Just because you don't see results from what you're doing doesn't mean you're impacting lives. Samuel went from town to town sharing them about Jehovah God and the part he should play in their life over and over, year after year, and what happens? Humanly speaking, nothing. We heard from our sister Merle Hansel last week, or two, I guess it's been a couple weeks ago now, and she shared how her mom is uh, in her 90s, she's struggling physically, she does not have a relationship with Christ, it's been a burden of her heart, and the last time she was in San Diego, she was able to get a, a messianic uh, Jewish priest, who, or excuse me, pastor who came over and was able to talk with her, and Merle was able to come home for the first time having peace and confidence that her mother has a relationship with Jesus Christ. Prayed for her for over 40 years. See, these are stories sometimes that we hear, and we go, oh, well, but that's a, that's a fluke. And then we think of that in our own lives, and I'm telling you, you are impacting lives in ways that you might not ever know or that you might not know till years later, and that was Samuel. He didn't quit when he thought, well, nobody's turning back to God. I mean, the ark is in the wrong place. We got people that have got their gods of Baal and Ashtaroth all over the place. They got groves set up. They got this set up. They've rejected God. What am I doing wasting my time? Maybe even compared himself to some of the other judges and what they did compared to what he'd seen his life to. So I want you to come with me on this journey today to look at Samuel's life and ask yourself what you can learn from it and how you can apply some of these lessons to your own life today. So the first thing we hear about Samuel here is Samuel the Reformer. Samuel the Reformer, verse number three. And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtaroth, and they served the Lord only. So Samuel, you'll see here, what was Samuel doing? Samuel was speaking to the house of Israel, but let's just wait for a second here. This isn't Samuel getting in front of the combined nation of Israel. This is Samuel going to this village and this tribe and this town and this city and constantly saying to them the same message. We don't see them gather together until a couple more verses when they get together at Mizpah. Before that, Samuel was going around and Samuel was speaking truth. He was going to them and saying, okay, here's the question. Do you guys want to turn back to God? There's got to be a willingness on the person's part that you're talking to to actually do something in the relate, with the relationship with God. These individuals knew all about God. They knew what they were supposed to do. They'd been taught it since they were little. It was a part of the culture that they lived, but they were living these double lives. They would go and do certain things to please Yahweh, but they weren't really pleasing him because God saw their heart. In the meantime, they'd go back home and they'd worship the prophet, excuse me, they'd worship the god Baal and Ashtaroth, which, by the way, Baal and Ashtaroth, 
Baal female, uh, male, Asheroth female, gods of sexuality and fertility, gods of plenty, gods of reward, all selfish, sensual type gods. Gods that we would love to have because it's all about me. And Samuel had to speak truth. And what did he say to him? If you're serious about returning to the Lord, what do you say next? With all your heart. See, speaking the truth is, guys, we can't give our hearts to God 98%. Do we give God everything? I'm not saying, are you a Christian? If I'm a child of God, I can still not give God my whole heart. I piece it off on what I'm comfortable for because I'm afraid what God might ask me to do. I'm afraid of when he points that dark closet with that sin crammed in there, what it's going to take to deal with that. And Samuel spoke truth. Why? Because he loved these people. Folks, the people that will speak the boldest truth to you risk a lot because they know how you may react, but it's usually because they love you and they're willing to take that risk. Don't look at people that speak truth to you and think, man, they hate my guts. They're usually going to be the people that love you the most and they don't want to see you go down the wrong path. That's why parents stop their children from doing crazy things that can hurt themselves. I've never seen a parent have their child when they're little and have their fingers in their mouths as they frequently do and slobber all over the place and reach for the light socket and not grab their hand and pull it away. I don't think parents go, well, they'll learn. No. By the way, that's called child abuse, but we don't do that. We protect our children. That's why we don't let them run in the street. That's why we are cautious about certain toys and certain dangers that they have. We do that because we love them. And Samuel, he loved these people, and he spoke truth to them. He took his job very seriously. He went around from tribe to tribe, and he spoke that same truthful message that he knew they needed to hear. And then we, I want to I point out a verse to you. Proverbs 27, 6. The Bible says this. The wounds of a friend are better than the kisses of an enemy. Why? Because they're wounds that are for my good. Anybody here ever got a splinter? Wow, not many of you. You guys are still very protected lives. I can't even tell you how many splinters I have on my body. Um, from either walking my, you know, across wood I shouldn't have in my bare feet. Um, the worst was when I climbed a pole that was wooden and slid down. I've told you that story before. And other, lots of other situations. Yep, I have a scar right here that reminds me of that wooden pole. But you have those situations. But when you get it, guess what? I remember as a child going to my mom, and you got the splinter, and, it's, and a lot of times you'd pick at it, and you'd leave it alone, and it gets worse. It gets red. It turns colors. And you finally usually go to mom and take this out. Now, she gets this like needle, like sharp. Oh, I'll have to dig it out. Dig in my flesh? I don't think so. Why? Because she knows that if you don't remove that splinter, that infection will get worse, damage will be worse, it has to come out for healing to take place. My dear brother and sister, truth has to be spoken into our lives by the people that we call friends so that we can have the healing that God wants us to have and have the life that God wants us to have. He spoke truth, and true friends spoke tr speak truth. But I think that what I also like is he asked a question. He wanted to see if the message would be received if they really wanted to hear truth. See, you and I need to be ready to really receive truth. I encourage you this way. I encourage you to have a few people in your life that you give permission to, to speak truth into your life, to confront you, to talk with you, to come alongside of you. It will hurt at times. But there are always sweet healing that comes when you have that happen. The second thing we see 
is not only to speak truth, said, if you're returning, put away your foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only and he will deliver you out of your hand. So he gave them these truths. He gave them these specifics. He said, put away the foreign gods. Samuel knew that the main problem was that the Israelites had placed others in the place that only Jehovah God should have been. You can't follow God if you're following these. You gotta get rid of them. Actions will always follow the heart's intents. Actions will always follow the heart's intents. In fact, if you have true repentance, then actions have to follow. If you have true repentance, actions have to follow. Otherwise, you really aren't repentant. You might say it so you'd sound better, feel better, look better, but true repentance will always be followed by actions. We need to be honest with ourselves about what our gods really are in our lives. We have a lot of them nowadays. I don't know many people, although I've gone to homes where they have shrines set up in rooms where they worship maybe Hindu gods or Baal, or Baal, but um, Buddha or things like that. I've been in homes like that. Most of us, though, have gods that nobody else would consider a god, but it's almost as if we put a shrine to them. It can be family. It can be a job. It can be sports. It can be lots of things. So the question would obviously be, well, how do you determine what gods are? Now, this is kind of my definition. This isn't Webster's. But I always look at it in my life this way. Who gets the biggest portion of my time, talent, and treasure? Now, we can argue about the specifics, but if we're really honest, then you know in your heart what causes you to say yes to God's stuff, God's house, God's people, God's word, and what we say no to. You know if you say yes to the things you say yes to, how you're saying no to some of the things that I just mentioned. If we're honest, we probably know what those idols are, but we really don't want to deal with them. Or we want to keep them along with God, but see, we have a jealous God, and he does not want any other gods other than himself. So he says, put away the gods. The second thing he says is direct your heart to God. The word direct means to focus your attention on. Are you focusing your attention on God? You can't if the idols are still there. The third thing he gives as a specific is serve God. Now, the natural effect of giving God your heart is that the rest of you comes along with it. Service becomes a natural expression of your life given over to God. Becomes a natural expression of your service even to God. Yes, I know serving in church is a part of that, but it's bigger than that. Don't get hung up on just that. How do you serve God by serving your spouse? by serving your children, by serving your parents, by serving your neighbors, or even your coworkers? Are you, are you always looking for what you can get out of a situation or how you can serve in a situation? If it's always about me all the time, then really my heart isn't directed to God, it's directed to me. So I encourage you to ask yourself that question, where is your heart really directed at? And then the last thing you uh, see is that serving God, which I mentioned. Serving is a natural response for a God-focused person. So if you're looking at your life going, well, I only serve begrudgingly when I have to, when I'm forced to, and never do it in a joyful way, then I encourage you to really look at what's going on in your heart. Because when I give my heart to God, part of doing that, and Samuel lays it out here to the Israelites, and that carries over to today, is serving God. So then we see not only the, the, we see the, the first two points, the third thing underneath Samuel the Reformer, Samuel led the way. Now we see that in verse number five. Then Samuel said, gather all Israel at Mizpah and I will pray to the Lord for you. 
So they gathered in Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord. So Samuel says he gathered all Israel at Mizpah. Now he gets everybody together. Now, Mizpah is an interesting town. If we look back, we find that it's a couple of other times in the Jewish history, the Israelites' recent history. This was the same place, Mizpah, where they had the ark taken from them on the battlefield by the Philistines. Twice, in fact, they'd been defeated at Mizpah, and now Samuel calls them back to Mizpah to say, hey, guys, we're going to turn this place that was a place of defeat into a place of surrender to God, not to the Philistines this time. And we're going to let God be our protector and not think our armies can take on the Philistines. God's going to take on the Philistines. And any other enemy out there, God's going to be our protector. So he gathers them all to Mizpah. You can see their respect and their earnest desire here. They leave their towns and their responsibilities, and they come to Mizpah. They couldn't jump on a bus or fly in a helicopter or get in their sports car. They got on their donkeys, and they got on their sandals, and they went in their bare feet, and they walked because they knew this was an important time and the turning point of where their nation needed to go, and they were recognizing how they needed God again in their life. There's a seriousness there. And then I love what it says there. I began in verse 6. They, pour, they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord. Now that was a sign. They poured that out before the Lord. That water being poured out before the Lord was a sign of them pouring out their sin before God, not being able to take it back because once in the ground, it's gone. A brokenness before God. God, we're poured out before you. Then it says, and they fasted as well. They go without food as an act of selflessness and commitment to God. Those grumbling pains, every time they got those hunger grumbling pains, it was a reminder to them, focus on God. Confess before God. Be humble before God. And then I like the last part. He says, not only that, but what does it say lastly there in verse 6? And they said this, they fasted on that day and said, there. They said at Mizpah, publicly we have sinned against the Lord. There's a beautiful thing in public confession. We don't like to do that in our culture. But true repentance takes away my inability to publicly be willing to say, listen folks, I sinned in this situation and I need to ask for forgiveness. Or let me tell you how God broke me in this situation. They did it publicly. We've sinned because they knew the cleansing aspect and they also knew the way it could send the message to so many others. If we all come together and we're broken of our sins and we confess our sins and we fast and we're poured out before the Lord, we want the favor of God. We want the restoration of that relationship with God. They deeply desired that. Do you deeply desire God, folks? Do you deeply desire a connective relationship with him? Do you deeply desire to do whatever it takes that God might be the only God in your life? The Israelites were faced with that decision. And they said, we want God and we'll do whatever it takes. Yeah, get rid of the bales. Fine, get rid of the asherahs. Pour out ourselves before you. Publicly proclaim it. Fast. Whatever it takes, God, we want you and you only. Do you feel that way? then your actions will follow that. You can't just say, well, yeah, I really want to serve God. Well, then what what are you doing about it? Please, please, please don't leave this service 
thinking poorly or good about the message or the music and leave here and the first thing we think about is our lunch and we completely forget, or whatever you're doing next, and we completely forget about the message that Samuel said in front of the nation of Israel and I plead with you as your pastor, where is God in your life? What part does he play? I know there's a hundred reasons why God let you down. There's a hundred reasons why Christians blew it. There's a hundred reasons why the church isn't what it should be. But I'm telling you, if you'll choose to follow God and him only and do the things Samuel laid out for the Israelites, you are going to have the most amazing life ever. I didn't say easiest. I didn't say happiest. I said amazing because you're going to see God do things in and through you that he's, in ways he's going to use you that is going to be mind-boggling and you're going to be humbled that he allowed you to be a part of it. Samuel the Reformer. Secondly, Samuel the Rescuer. Verse 7. Now when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, they went, aha, we have an opportunity here. It says that the, it gathered at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel, and the people of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. See, Samuel was also a rescuer. You know, as we've seen here at UPCC, whenever God does something great in our lives and in the lives of our church, the enemy is right there waiting to attack us. Folks, we need to beware and be prepared. Even in all the great things that God was doing in the Hebrew nation, they weren't prepared for the attack that was about to come. So what do we see happens? The enemy comes. Now, we have no idea why the Philistines decided to attack. It might have been because they knew the whole nation was gathered together and they assumed it was for a council of war. They may have gotten word back from some of their spies that the Israelites were getting together to worship their God and they knew then that they probably didn't bring all their armament with them to defend themselves against an attack. They might have known that. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us that. But we know that the enemy comes. I want to give you a statement. Always know that when God does great things, the enemy will, not might, will attack us. When God's going to do something great, the enemy will attack you. And right after great things happen, the enemy attacks then too. You're like, are you kidding me? I'm exasperated. That's why we can't do this without God. Stop doing it in your own power. You're going to be frustrated with yourself and God. The enemy will attack. So the enemy comes. What was the Israelites' fear? What, what did the Israelites do? They were scared. We see that as we continue on. Or excuse me, go back up. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, don't cease to cry out for us, to the Lord for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. They, they, were, they were saying, we know we don't have the ability to beat the Philistines. Now what I love about it is although they were afraid, they weren't in despair. They went to Samuel and said, pray for us. Hey, I'll tell you what, don't ever use prayer as a cliche. Don't ever feel like if you ask others to pray that you're wasting your time. Well, there's nothing else we can do. Or somebody asks you, well, all you can do is pray. That's a powerful thing, folks. 
God hears our prayers. He responds to our prayers. Not always in our time, not always the way we want it, but he does. It's amazing to see what he does. So what did they do? They were smart enough to go to Samuel and go, Samuel, you gotta pray for us. We're in trouble. We can't do this. We need God. Now what I love about this is they'd already turned to God, so it wasn't as if they just cried out to God as they often did when they were only in trouble. Folks, don't call out to God just when you need your genie in the lamp. Okay, Lord, I can't do this now. Now I need you. Have him a part of it along the way. He wants to be there with you. So the Israelites fear. But then the man of God prayed. They went to their judge and they asked him to pray. And what did he do? He prayed and then he went and he took a small lamb. Now, I don't know about you, but I still, when I think of what was necessary for a lamb to be slaughtered for as a sacrifice, it's a gruesome situation. And it pulls at my heartstrings. Oh, that's horrible that they have to do that just because the Israelites are knuckleheads and don't trust God because they're sin. You know why? God set this up, though, because he wanted it to be hard every time so that when they would see this big picture that this was only a small one or a a, a picture of what Christ was going to do and how he would be that lamb, that they would have that same sensitivity that Jesus Christ would leave heaven, come to earth, live a sinless life, die a cruel death as our lamb. Innocent, pure for our sins. And it was the only way that we could have redemption and reconciliation. So Samuel was even then doing that picture, sacrificing, saying, God, we need your favor, we need your protection. I'm praying, I'm asking because you're the only one. And what happens? The God of Israel defends them. No bow was bent, folks. No spear was thrown. No sword was unsheathed by the Israelites. God did it all. Now, I don't know how many times you've had a chance to see a God did it all story, but they're probably happening more often than you recognize. But then there's sometimes you're like, wow, this is like over the top, can't believe God did this. Well, that was one of these. So what happens? He gives the sacrifice, and then it continues on in verse number nine. And Samuel cried to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. Verse 10, as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, I love that, while he's in the middle of it, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. Now, if you're not paying attention, you need to now, okay? Verse, continues on. The, the Philistines drew near, but the Lord. It's always down to the Lord, folks. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion, and they were defeated before Israel. (laughs) That is so amazing. God God just used noise to to mess up the whole army of, of the Philistines. God didn't send lightning. God didn't send a wind. God didn't send water. God just made noise and wiped them out. Now it says they created confusion. I don't know if it created confusion. They heard, thought they heard the enemy and they started killing each other. We don't know. The Bible doesn't say. We don't know if it's this noise and they all got so scared they dropped their armaments and they ran. We, we, we just know that God used this noise and he paralyzed them and then the Israelites defeated them. See, God wanted them to know above all else that he was the only one that did that. He didn't want later them to go, well, you know what? The rain came down, so maybe it was the rain God. Maybe it was the thunder God. 
He wanted them to know clearly it was Jehovah God. Okay, I want to encourage you, that God that did that, if you're a child of God, lives in you in the form of the Holy Spirit and is with you day by day. So when your night looks so dark you can't see your hand in front of you, God is there. When your checking account looks like it can't get any more negative, God is there. When your car has issues, when your relationships are broken, when your parents are driving you crazy, when your wife or husband is about to be strangled by you because you're so frustrated, that's who we always go back to God because God is the one that will take care and work through the situations. Don't try to change the person. Go to God and ask God to change you and help you to know how to navigate the situation. We're so concerned about everybody else changing. God came in and did his work, and God wants to do it in our lives. But we've got to be willing to do it God's way, which meant the Israelites had to say, we're not lifting up one bow and arrow. We're not picking up one spear. We're not grabbing one shield. We're not putting one watchman on the wall. God, you've got it all, and he did. We underestimate the power of God. Let's drop down to verse 14. The last thing, Samuel the plotter. If we all take time and reflect, we know we've all experienced those times of the miraculous. Times where we saw God work in a way that was unexplainable, humanly speaking. Most of life, however, is not that way. Most of life is we get up each day, we put the armor on, and we fight what we would consider the mundane warfare that's in front of us. Striving to fulfill the roles that God has given us through his strength and through his direction. So what can we learn from Samuel as we leave the miraculous and enter into the normal? We see that Samuel plotted along. Plotting isn't fun. Plotting can be boring and dull, but if we'll stop, we'll see a lot of really cool things in the day-to-day. The first thing we see here in verse number 14 is this. Do you want to read it with me? The cities that the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel from Ekron to Gath, and Israel delivered their territory from the land of the Philistines. There was peace also between Israel and the Amorites. Now, it doesn't say Israel went to war. We don't know what happened, but we, hear, we find here that everything that the Philistines had taken from Israel went back to Israel. All the towns, all the vineyards, all the cities, everything did, and God created a a, a treaty between them and the Amorites for the Amorites weren't attacking anymore. There was peace in the land. Now, if we're used to fighting all the time, it's hard to enjoy peace. In this culture, if we're used to moving all the time, technology all the time, visuals all the time, it's hard sometimes to enjoy peace. Part of plotting in life is rejoicing on how the peace was attained. God did it but also by taking time to relish it instead of looking for the next fight. Part of plotting is just enjoying the peace. Those of you that are warriors understand the battle that comes. Okay, Lord, you worked that one out, but you know there's another one on the horizon. I just know it. Just enjoy now. Enjoy right now. Enjoy the teaching of God's word. Enjoy the people God's put around you. Enjoy the day that God's given to us. Enjoy the blessings that we have. Take a deep breath and enjoy. And part of plotting is learning to look around and enjoy the beauty of God, the peace of God, the amazing traits of God in our day-to-day mundane lives. 
the mundane tasks, I should say, in our life. The second thing we see is that there was a judge for the people. We see here as we continue on, it says in verse 16, Samuel judged all Israel, judged Israel all the days of his life. Now I think we underestimate that what God, excuse me, I think that we underestimate the leadership that God gives to us. Samuel went back to the day-to-day overseeing of the nation with special attention given to the spiritual environment and the spiritual climate of the people. Now, you might consider it self-serving that I say this, but do we enjoy the leadership that God genuinely, that cares for us genuinely, that God gives us day-to-day to interact with us? Now, I'm not the only elder here. There's other elders besides me. There's other leaders in our church, Gail Whalen with our children's ministries and others. But praise the Lord instead of fight against the fact sometimes that God is the one who establishes leadership. And part of the peace process and the plotting was Samuel was able to go back to the day-to-day caring for the people. There wasn't the crisis now. And we live in a very independent culture where we don't want to listen to anybody. Parents don't want to listen to their kids. Spouses don't want to listen to each other. We don't listen to our bosses. We certainly don't want to listen to the police officers and the speed signs and all the other things. We kind of always want to do it our way. Why did God put leadership over us? Because he loves us. He knows we need that to help us on our way. He knows how forgetful we are. He knows when we're weak how we need that individual in our life. And praise, the, praise God then for leadership that he places over us to care for our souls and to guide us in our life's journey. Part of plotting is taking time to, God, to thank God for the shepherds that he's put in our life and to recommit to following them as they lead us on life's journey. And then the last thing I think is interesting here as we finish off this section. And it says, And he went on a circuit year by year to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mizpah. That was his spending time with the people. He judged Israel in all these places. That was civic matters, spiritual matters. He spent time with them. And then I like verse 17. Then he would return to Ramah, for his home was there. There's always something special about home. And there also he judged Israel. He didn't give up his responsibilities. He just did it from home. And he built there an altar to the Lord. You see, the third thing about plotting, Samuel's the plotter, is there's a focus on the Lord. See, Samuel made sure that in his primary residence that there was an altar. A constant reminder to him of the need to thank God, to confess sin, and to keep God front and center in his day-to-day life. What do you do to keep God front and center in your life? See, part of plotting is making sure Christ is preeminent in all that you do in life. Let me wrap up with a few takeaways. So how can you be used of God? We've mentioned many things today. There's a lot of stuff in this passage. I encourage you to read it over again. There's a few things that I just want to hit on. First is, you... If you really want to be used of God, you first of all have to be his child. Do you know Christ? I'm not asking if you're religious. I'm not asking if you go to church. I'm not even asking if you like this church. I'm asking, have you come to a point where you've recognized your need for a Savior? You've confessed your sins to him and in a personal way accepted his gift of salvation. I encourage you to do that today if you haven't. The second thing is you'll have actions that follow repentance. Did we say something today or did God bring something up to your mind today where you went, ouch, yeah, that's an area I'm blowing it in. 
then I encourage you to get along with God today and repent of that and then let actions proceed from that that will help you. Pastor John, if I repent, I don't know what to do next. That's why God put leaders around you to help you. But you have actions that have to follow that repentance. The third thing is you must be willing to do things God's way. The Israelites had to stop saying, but we can worship Baal and worship God. We can be Israelites and say we're the children of God and still be children of Ashtaroth. No, you have to understand and be willing that life can only be done God's way, period. I don't want to speak truth, then you're not doing it God's way. I don't want anybody speaking truth into my life, then you're not doing it God's way. I don't want to go serving other people. You're not doing it God's way. I don't want to direct my heart on God. You're not doing it God's way. Folks, you got to do it God's way. You can't take the Bible and cut and paste. This isn't a Word document. It's all or nothing. Third thing, or fourth thing. You can't forget what God has done. Here's a, here's a response, here's a, an action for you to do today. Why don't you take some time today and some of you have busy days, but just write down three things that you have definitively seen God do in your life in the last month. Maybe it was like this verse right when you needed it. Maybe it was that text you got and like, wow. Maybe it was a person God put in your life. Maybe God spoke to you in that still, quiet time when you just needed that reassurance that he was there. We don't take enough time to reflect back and when the Israelites determined that they were going to return to God, they had to reflect back to understand that Yahweh was always there and was still there and wanted to be an active part of their daily lives. Let's pray. Father, today as we come before you and we hear your word, Lord, we ask, Lord, that you would just help us as a church family to be serious, Lord, about the steps we need to take the actions that we need to have, the lives we need to live in front of you, Father. You so desperately desire, God, to be the God of our whole life. And Christians are miserable, Father, when they don't embrace you for all of who you are. So help us to be willing to do that today and to be the children of God that you've intended for us to be in your precious name.